listening to Insights with Exonia Bank, a series of conversations from our experienced team of bankers. Today's host is Susan Marshall, Exonia Bank board member and founder of the Backbone Institute, and she will be talking with Dr. Matthew Davis, CEO of Maranatha Baptist University in Watertown, Wisconsin. Today's young professionals have different opportunities in front of them as compared to previous generations, and Dr. Davis provides tips for how companies can attract the next generation of workers. I'm happy to introduce Dr. Davis and Susan. Welcome to this episode of Insights with Exonia Bank. My name is Susan Marshall. I am here with Dr. Matthew Davis, the CEO of Maranatha Baptist University. I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation this morning about where the workers are, about Dr. Davis's work with young minds, and particularly the leadership work he does. I think you're not only going to enjoy the conversation, but probably, hopefully, be really encouraged by what you hear about this emerging workforce. Dr. Davis, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. It's a joy and a privilege to be here, and I hope that uh, this will be an uh, insightful conversation. With our two minds? We certainly <laughs> hope so. <laughs> you know, it's, we hear a lot about unfilled jobs. And as I was looking at the numbers just this morning, 10.7 million unfilled U.S. jobs as of Q3. In the Wisconsin alone, we have 132,000 unfilled jobs. So the question is, where are the workers? Literally, the bodies, but more important, figuratively, where are they? Well, there have been a lot of hypotheses struck on this, and some of them are political and politicized, and some of them are demographic. Some of them are looking at who to blame, and some of them are looking at solutions. And I think really, for for me, it's not so much about let's find someone to blame and then try to score political points. It's more an issue of trying to accomplish the mission of each organization that's out there. And I think what all of us are finding is that it's very difficult for us to address the needs of the market in which we find ourselves when we don't have trained, educated people to fill those roles. And it's so frustrating. And I think every single business and, ent- and entity is seeing that. Uh, yesterday, I tried to go get some lunch in Watertown, where the college is based. And the first restaurant I went to closed for in-person dining. The second restaurant I go to the hours of operation are there. It says it should be open, closed for in-person dining. We went to three different fast food and regular sit-down restaurants before we could finally find someplace, Culver's, of course, that was actually open. And, uh, you know, that's that's what we're seeing. And every business I, I pass says help wanted, help wanted, help wanted. And so it is definitely being felt in a real way and not just something you read in the Wall Street Journal. So 10.7 million jobs is a staggering statistic, but it's really the real world impact of that that we're seeing and feeling. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I see Investor's Business Daily or the Wall Street Journal or whatever it is on the uh, the finance side of things. And sometimes that seems very disconnected from real life. But this is a crisis that we are all suffering and feeling. And, and probably the most frustrating part of it in leadership is that we have more business than we can handle. And we just, I mean, this is the first time in my career that the limits have been self-imposed because of capacity problems rather than market-imposed because of demand problems, right? I mean, we're, we spend all this money on marketing to get people interested in buying our product. <laughs> 
And normally that's the big challenge. Now we have all the demand we can ha- handle more than we can handle. Right. And I want to pick up on that a little bit with the, the idea that, yes, people are frustrated. There's no doubt about it. And I bet you were hangry by the time you got to Culver's. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hungry and hangry. But, but there are myths, and maybe they're not myths. This yeah. is what I'm interested to explore with you, that kids don't want to work. Oh. You know, they want the work-life balance. They'd far more rather travel than have a J-O-B. And I think about, you know what, aren't we all like that when we're that age? I don't a think bit. there's any difference right now generationally between Gen X that I would identify with versus, I mean, I, I remember what they said about Gen X. I mean, remember, we're raised by boomers. And so, the, you see? and they were ra- raised by the <laughs> greatest generation. I mean, talk about right. something to live up to. And so, uh, the work ethic that our parents had, and they said about Gen X, they're lazy, they're disaffected. They don't know what they want to do in in the world. Uh, They're just interested in entertainment and not industry. Well, that's kind of the same way I hear people talking about millennials a few years ago and now Gen Z, which has come behind them. And they say, oh, they're even worse. You well, know, and, and boomers, which <laughs> I identify with, sorry guys, but it's true. We were a bunch of dropout hippies, right? If so, we're going to be honest, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> right. that's – and so it's not so much – the particular characteristic of a particular generation as it is this particular stage of life when you're in your late teens and early 20s, this is kind of how you are. Now, there are some changes and differences that we have definitely seen. But I think that the 10 million number goes along with another 10 million number. And that is there are 10 million fewer individuals in the current generation than there are baby boomers. Yeah. And so there is a correlation there <laughs> to the, the gap as we are now seeing. I remember as an attorney, I'm my, by profession, I'm a, a trained attorney. And I remember hearing about it in our continuing ed seminars and different things that we go to for estate planning. And they were saying, we are about to witness the greatest transfer of wealth that the world has ever seen. Isn't that incredible? As the baby boomers retire and then as they pass on generationally they will transfer more wealth than the world has ever seen change hands isn't that part of the problem kids <laughs> with wealthy families now that's a grand generalization right we know that's always dangerous but the, but the current mythology says that's part of the problem they got all this right. money they don't need to work I, I don't know anybody that doesn't need to work and and so there's there's a esoteric thought that that might be true, but do you know anybody like that? I, I don't know any trust fund babies. No, I don't either. Well, you know, but we are here in the Midwest. I've heard about so. them. I've heard, I've seen them on, you know, Instagram. I, I guess right. I say that I'm not actually on Instagram, but you know, I, I hear that, but I, that's disconnected from my world. Yeah. And, and that's not what I see in Watertown, Wisconsin. Okay. So yeah, there's going to be a transfer of wealth. And, and yes, there's something to be said for consumerism and the idea that I should start out as a young married couple at the standard of living that my parents had after 40 years of being married. Um, well, okay, we need to adjust expectations and things like that. But I really don't think that's the root of this problem. So talk to me, uh, Matt, about the kids, the young minds that you're working with now and your leadership work, seeing them on campus. What are some of the really positive attributes of this emerging workforce? At Maranatha Baptist University, our mission is to develop, is to develop leaders 
for ministry in the local church and the world to the praise of his glory. That's taken from Ephesians, the book in the Bible. And, and our, our ministry is religious in nature, but our training programs are very diverse. We have nursing and education and business, which is I'm a graduate myself from the business uh, school in, in 1996. And so we have a very diverse range of students preparing for diverse vocations. It's not just ministry preparation, although that is a big part of what we do. And so I will admit that our students are a little different. They're different because they've made a choice to attend a university that is missional-based right. and that they are focused on that. No matter what their vocation is, they want to use that in service of a higher cause. Let's just put it that way. Well said. And so allowing for that difference, to answer your question, I think that this is a generation that is most concerned with making an impact, making a difference in the world. And they're not so locked in with that thought that the only way to change the world is through my paid vocation. The way that the world has changed with the gig economy, with online jobs and businesses, they're not locked into the small range of choices of occupation that someone was locked into 100 years ago. You did what your family did. 100 yeah. years ago. That's a really, really big idea. That's a really big thought that I think, uh, it's certainly in the exposure that I've had to businesses here in the area, that's a really tough one to wrap your mind around as you're trying to run a profitable right. organization. Well, think about all the protectionist policies that we put in place to try and keep people locked into a wage-earning job right. or a geographic area. And so we say, no, you can't work from home, and no, you can't do – and so students, in my case, or workers, in the case of a business trying to hire someone, look, you can, you can keep those rules on the books, and you can keep your help wanted ads <laughs> in the paper because people are going to vote with their feet. Yeah. They have options now that they didn't have before. You can't lock them into the old ways. And so I think the blame, if there's to be blame, lies more in the employers not adapting, not innovating, and not flexing to the realities of the world as it is today rather than being able to blame it on this you know, lazy, disaffected <laughs> workforce that they've imagined doesn't so, exist. Okay, but you know what? They always talk about innovation and reimagining things. What messaging, in, if, from your perspective, dealing with the young minds that you do every single day, what messaging would employers be wise to adopt to attract these bright, young, focused, determined mission-driven, kind humans to their operations? I'll say it broadly, and then I'll illustrate it with a specific case. What are you about? What is your business's mission? And if you say to make money for me as the business owner, you're done. <laughs> Nobody wants to work for you yeah. if that's your mission. Thank you, Nobody no. cares about that mission. Your mission has to be stated in a way that it's going to attract someone who wants to change the world. Right, And so if you want to attract this workforce, you've got to show them how what you're offering for them to do is connected to your mission and how your mission as a business is connected to some change, some positive force and influence in the world. 
So I met this guy about a month ago who was an educator and then due to some circumstance, he was actually injured. Uh, he was no longer able to do that job. And he was in the middle of a kitchen remodel when all of this happened. And he, he met a guy <laughs> that was doing his countertops. And this guy talked about the granite industry. Now, my friend that I just met didn't know a thing in the world about the granite industry. But he began to just talk to this guy. And he talked to him a little more. And he said, yeah, you know, it's, it's really kind of fun. It's actually kind of interesting. And so this man who had been injured and was a career change and looking for something to do, made some connections and contacts in the local community there in South Carolina. And he found out that there was a quarry and he found out that they had some products they were trying to find a market for. And then he found some people over here, the contractors and others that were trying to find resources. And he became the go-between. And I said, what is your business about? Kitchen remodels, granite countertops. He said, no, I am giving people a better life. He said, I, I use my own story and my own wife's, you know, reaction. And, and my, he's not, he's trying not to sell kitchens. He's trying to have opportunities to meet people. And he said, I go into the home and I talk to the homeowner and I talk to him about what they want, what kind of lifestyle they want to have, what kind of kitchen they want to have. And then we build the experience of a kitchen remodel around what they want to have. And I, I mean, it made me want to remodel my kitchen. <laughs> and I just remodeled yeah, my well, kitchen like uh, two years ago. <laughs> I would say, talk to your wife about that one. Yeah. yeah. And, and they talked about modern spaces and, you know, bringing your home to life and all these things that had nothing to do with granite and quarries and, and pricing and supply chains. <laughs> And, and I thought, you know, that's the kind of business a person could get excited to work for. Well, and so that's a story, right, about the business. A couple of things come to mind. Number one is I facilitate a CEO group. Most of them are hard-nosed, get yeah. the numbers, get it done. Yeah. I, I mean, that's their and responsibility, right? There, there's a role for right? that. <laughs> well, and the, it's necessary to yeah. sustain a business, right, profitably. Mm. So so that's one aspect. It's like, okay, great. I love this. Oh, Harry Ferry, it's great. But, you know, the hard-nosed business, what are we going to do? Second thing that really struck me about your story is the communication aspect. Kids don't want to talk. They want to be on text. They want to be, again, is that mythology? They want relationships. More than anything else, we all crave human connection. And I think if this work from home stuff has taught us anything is that there's a, a level of dysfunction that comes with that that's a little harder to put your finger on. We were all at home for a while and Technically, I could do pretty much everything as the leader that I could do from the office, I suppose, through Zoom and through Slack and Teams and every other online platform and tool that we learned how to use over the last couple of years. Right. Technically, I can do it all. But there's something different about sitting in a room and having a personal connection with someone and seeing them eye to eye. Everything I've learned about leadership was accidental. That's one way to put it. I could put it, say providential. But what I mean by accidental was it wasn't really intentional in the classroom. Even the professors that changed my life did so by their life pattern, by what I saw in their example, by the lessons they gave me off the cuff, by spending time with them. What this generation wants is mentorship. Yeah, They crave it. They want to be connected. Now, there's frustrating aspects about it because respect is communicated differently between 
generations. And sometimes those of us in an older generation expect certain formalities that this current generation and the millennials before them just don't really value as much. Don't know, <laughs> frankly. I, I, I know. And, and it's funny. I heard the funniest comment one time from a boomer. They, they said, look at that guy. He's wearing flip-flops. That is just <laughs> so disrespectful. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I didn't like the fact the guy was wearing flip-flops either, but I, I would have like, never in the world thought, that's disrespectful. You wow, know? <laughs> wow, man. It's like, yeah, that's but, pretty intense. But different generations yeah. just see things differently. And and they perceive the respect factor differently. And that's why when I'm talking to a younger person, I say, listen, if you want to get anywhere in a business, you're going to have to deal with the older people in that business. Yeah. And you're going to have to communicate respect. And that means finding out what they interpret as respect signals and give them those signals. So everything I learned was from mentored, mentoring relationships with older people that I spent time with. I like to play golf. I'm not great at it. I'm never going to be on the PGA Tour, <laughs> kind of coming to that realization, you know, slowly. A dream dies hard sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and I just keep thinking, maybe with the right clubs, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> just upgrade okay. the clubs enough. But uh, that's just not going to happen. But I'll tell you what golf has done for me, right? It's access. Where else do you get four yeah. hours right. of one-on-one, -on -one, casual, let your guard down access to someone who's got something valuable to offer? And I try not to do that. That's not a manipulative thing. I'm not golfing with you know clients and customers in a way I'm trying to sell them something, but rather to, for me to learn something. What makes this person tick? What are their core values? How do, what, what is their process? How do they organize their life? What, how do they value judgment, make decisions? And how do they communicate with their people the kind of care and concern? And so I've had many opportunities with very important, you know, type people to just have that time in the golf cart or time in the bowling lane or whatever it is. My point is get out of the office a little bit yeah. and spend time with each other and have relationships. It means so much. And, and the word that you used that really stuck in my head is learn. Learn from each other, generation to generation. Everybody has something to share. You know, Matt, you made a comment when we did a podcast at Maranatha in November about being with people and the students need you to see them, right. look them in the eye, listen to what they're saying, really truly signal your engagement. Mm. I think your, your points about remote work really have severed that a lot. And I don't know sometimes if we have the ability, the training, the skill, or frankly, sometimes the desire just get it done, right? right? And I think what you're saying now is so critical for our employers, our, our customers, our clients, our prospects, everybody to really listen to this and consider what does this look like and feel like in your environment? Because that's so rare, it's actually an opportunity. Absolutely. Competitive advantage. Absolutely. And it doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> There's it that. doesn't cost you anything to be kind, for example. Yesterday, I had a conversation with somebody who, functionally speaking, is irrelevant to me. Uh, that sounds like attorney speak. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean that to no, be that it. way. But I just mean from an from a advantage standpoint, I have nothing to gain from the conversation. Right. They're a retired person. They've been in the ministry a long time. And uh, you know what I did? I spent about an hour and a half on the phone just talking. And by the end of it, 
the man was a little bit quiet, and I thought maybe we'd lost our connection. And he said, no, I'm just getting a little bit emotional. And I said, why? He says, well, I'm just thinking about as we talk all the years in ministry and all the things that I've learned. And what I walked away from that going, this conversation was immeasurably valuable to me. What have I learned? What have I taken away from this? And how have I seen into the heart of someone who was faithful? someone who accomplished some very grand, in my view, eternal things in their life. And certainly they may not have monetary prosperity to show for it or to offer to me, but what they do offer in terms of that connection. And I could perceive then from the emotional response that it had been valuable to him. Absolutely. And so I got a text this morning just saying, thank you so much for spending time with me. Yeah. over the phone and you know reaching out to me when I had a question and a need. So I think what you have to look for is beyond the appearance, beyond what this person has to offer me, look at the humanity of that individual and look look at the value of a soul. Every every individual is a unique soul, has a unique background and their life has value and meaning. And that will help us to cut through racial barriers and cultural barriers and generational barriers and help us to see the, I believe, God-given value of that created soul, that eternal soul in my view. And and does that have any business advantage? <laughs> Ironically, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, and I wanna I wanna pick up on that um, and just ask you from that perspective, how you touched that individual and he, you, how do you anticipate today's emerging young minds changing not only the culture of workplaces, if in fact we were to adopt some of these ideas we're talking about this morning, and also how business is done? Well, we have to get used to the technology. A lot of people in the in the management and executive levels of the office buildings today remember a time when they learned how to use a mouse. <laughs> Ask a young person when they learned how to use a mouse. And they'd be like, what's that? They, they are digital natives. Yeah, absolutely. And they walk around with a device in their pocket that can access the whole of knowledge of all eternity. <laughs> and they use it to take stupid videos and talk with random strangers on the internet and and have arguments. And I, I mean, if you think about it, the times have changed a little bit in that regard, right? My generation built most of the technological infrastructure that is used in business today. And so we understand it at an architectural level. We understand its structure. We understand the choices that were made. We understand its vulnerabilities. We understand why it's it's created the way it is, why it looks and feels that way. We're comfortable in a DOS environment. We're comfortable in a command line level. This generation looks at user interfaces and wants emojis and yeah. user-friendly and web-based and browser-based and, and reflexive design and all of the things that go into a modern user interface, but they don't necessarily have a very deep understanding of the architecture, the security risks, and the things behind it. They'll open a new account and use the same password as right. they used right. on everything else. If you ask me what are my top concerns yeah. right now as a CEO, tech security is at the very top of the list. I am very concerned about that, not because I'm worried that we don't have you know enough encryption on our firewall, but, but I'm worried about 500 little threat variables that walk around with a device in their pocket and make 
dumb decisions about passwords. Right, right. <laughs> and get sucked into a phishing email, right? And so, Huge concern for businesses today. It's Huge. major because the ransomware stuff out there is way smarter than we are and constantly evolving and now very well-funded. And the blockchain and Bitcoin technology has given them a way to actually fund and 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 finance their hacking and, and ransomware attacks. And so uh, I'm very concerned about that. I think that you know it's blood curdling to to be told by tech experts if they want in they'll get in, if they target you you're you're toast, and there isn't anything you can do to stop. I mean what? Yeah, <laughs> you know that that's uh, that's difficult to process. So what's changing is that we have got to adapt to digital natives that have a pretty shallow understanding of the architecture and technology. But we have to we have to respond and, and and flex with that. We have to be missional driven, as I've said before. We have to be more relational. We have to give them reasons to be in the office. Bingo. Yeah. Not policies that say they have to be. Well, and I think what what I find encouraging, even though, you know, blood curdling, yes, you're right about that. But <laughs> the encouraging thing is this is all possible between human beings. Right. The respect, the learning, the teaching one another about what we know and frankly what we don't, I think that's a really hard one for most people, is to be curious and yeah. to to listen with an intention to take what we hear and apply it. Right. Humans haven't changed. The the, the communication preferences have changed and some of the language has changed and we have, I think, unprecedented changes in language that are, are taking place within the workplaces. And there are definitely some very paradigm-shifting forces at play right now in our culture and society that I think we have to keep tabs of economically and philosophically and politically, socially, <laughs> religiously. I mean, all those different uh, currents that, that we keep tabs of. But ultimately, at the base level of it, humans are humans, and they have basic needs. And Money is not the primary basic need anymore when it comes to what people are prioritizing because in this labor market, they have choices. And we have to recruit and we have to do more than put the sign in the window or else we're going to be the ones with the lobby closed at lunchtime. You know, you and I could talk probably for days, not just (laughs) hours, days on this, but I want to be sensitive to your time. I would love, um, if the bank would have us back, to explore some of these other topics we've talked about perhaps later this year. Um, You are a wealth of knowledge, energy, intellect, and inspiration. So Dr. Matt Davis, CEO of Maranatha Baptist University, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be sharing more stories in the episodes ahead. So if you like the information you heard today, please make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wishing you all continued success. We'll talk to you soon.